Praise God. We can all be seated. Praise the Lord. You got to put the glasses on. Hallelujah. Today is a day of rejoicing. Praise God. I haven't felt that joy in a while. When you know, I come to church and you come to church and you praise God, but there's sometimes it's just to move the Holy Spirit that you just feel free to cut a rug. You know, I saw Minister Mag, uh, Mickey just, I said, praise him, Jesus. I love when she does the flag. You know, sometimes you might see me cry because I realize that in the spirit realm, God is rejoicing with us. God wants you to rejoice and dance and be free when you come here. We come with a lot of stuff from the outside. And sometimes we have to leave it out there. And you got to come here and you got to be free. You know, so if you see me crying, it's because of that. It's because I know that our God is rejoicing as we are worshiping him. Praise God. And then I have to say to Nate, Nate, you did sort of my preaching. I'm like, I was like, oh, Lord, now he's, he went there. Praise the Lord. Uh, praise God. I was a little nervous. And we had, I think some of the ministers were sh- and us were sharing that, you know, you come up here and we realize that, you know, coming and speaking is like touching holy ground. And, you know, even if I stand here, I feel a little shaky. Praise God, because I know it's like the presence of the Lord. Um, I was asking God, I said, Lord, what am I going to talk about um, to the church? And there's so many things that are going on, but um, it was such a rapid, God just gave it to me so quickly that I, it even shocked me. You know, I was in my bed, and I'm saying, God, what am I going to talk about? What will touch the heart of the people? Or what is it that's going to um, encourage them um, during this season? And um, the Lord told me, Raising walls raising walls hallelujah we're going to be going to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah from one to five. Praise God. And I know that during this season, uh, this is just so timely for me and so timely for the church, uh, what God is doing. And I am going to give it to you sort of like in a story form. Nehemiah, a man born under captivity. Nehemiah was the man who was born in Babylon. A hundred years after the Jewish people were taken from their beloved city. And he was born in captivity. So you're talking about a person who never saw Jerusalem and never saw his own culture worship in that city. The Jews were scattered all over the place. But God, God in his wisdom, put such favor over Nehemiah that it was amazing. The scholars believe that Nehemiah um, probably wasn't a prince but he was somewhat of royalty because he had a very important position. He was the cupbearer to the king. And being the cupbearer to the king held a big responsibility. It means that you were in charge of the safety of the king's food and wine. And if there was any poison or anything that was given to the king, the cupbearer would first taste of it. And so his position wasn't just only as the cupbearer who would drink of that wine or eat of that food, but he also had the ear of the king. And always, obviously in the presence of the king, when the king was speaking about lots of important things or maybe things in private, he was privy of. He was the cupbearer to the king of Artaxerxes' court. And while he was there, I believe that he did his job in such excellence that the king enjoyed his presence. One important fact about Nehemiah is that he had never, like I said, seen Jerusalem. He had never seen other Jews except those that were with him in the city of that he was born in. Um, what made Nehemiah unique? Uh, the wonderful thing that made Nehemiah Um, unique was that he felt a spiritual connection to both Jerusalem and his people. And if we go to Nehemiah chapter 1 and we read it, it says in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, it says the word of Nehemiah, the son 
of Halakiah. It came to pass in the month of Chislebe in the 20th year, as I am in Shushang, the citadel, and Hani, one of the brethren came with me from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. And the walls of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was then when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, and I was fasting and praying before God of heaven. And I said, I pray the Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy, and with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant. And I prayed before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servant, and confess the sin of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. You have acted very corruptly against you. And I have not kept the commandments and the statutes, nor the ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray the words that you, your command, commanded your servant Moses, saying that if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of heaven, yet I will gather them from there. And I bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your great strong hand. O Lord, I pray and please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servant who desires to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day. I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of him, for I am the king's cupbearer. And I like the way he ends it, that because it's so personal. You know, he's praying to his God, okay? And I believe that the way he prayed tells me and tells us that he had to have been in a household where they were worshiping God, where they knew the presence of God, where they knew who they were serving, because no one prays like that. No one prays like that. But I like the way he ends it. He says, for I was the king's cupbearer. He's personal. He's saying, this is who I am. This is my job. But you are my God. <clears throat> Praise God. So when we read in chapter 1, what basically happened there was that Nehemiah had a, vis a visitation. Somebody came, a group of people came to visit. It says a brethren. So we have to assume it was a family member or a distant cousin or whatever it may be. And some people who had come from Jerusalem. And he inquired about the people of Jerusalem. It's like when you're saying, oh, yeah, it's been 10 years that I don't go to Puerto Rico. How is it what now? Look at those, still big, those big mangoes. Do you see those big avocados and so on? Right? And so he was inquiring about Jerusalem. And so then when the men begin to share with him and tell him that the people are in distress, and when I started reading in some of the other different versions, sometimes some of them say distress, some of them say uh, in disgrace, some of them even say that they were disrespected. And so imagine a group of people living in a city that was well known for his glorious temple as El Hermano, como se dice, that Nate shared with us, that it was a beautiful temple. And all of a sudden, this temple went from, from beauty to disgrace. Then the city walls were all damaged. The Bible says that they were, the gates were burnt to the point that even the hardware was not there. And then the walls had lots of holes, lots of gaps. And it says in here, and we're reading the scripture, it says that the heart of Nehemiah, he got very sad. He became very depressed and he wept. And when the Bible says you wept, it's not like, oh, like me when I was crying over there. It, exactly. It means he was majorly boohooing before the presence of God. Obviously, something touched him in his spirit to say what happened to the place that my father has been talking to me about years and years. What's happened to the place that my grandfather had been sharing with me about. What happened to the place that even though we are in captivity, we've had that hope that we will be returning to. 
And now he finds that this place is now, what? A complete mess. So Nehemiah's spirit is connected to Jerusalem, and he's connected to his people. He hasn't been disconnected, interestingly enough, even though they're in captivity. And that's very hard to say. I mean, I don't know if people have read documentaries of people who have been captured or POW, where they try to work on your mind, where they try to change the way you think. Um, you know, you're not a person anymore. You're not an individual anymore. You're not this and you're not that. And so then Nehemiah is a Jew in Persia. He's a Jew in Persia. But he was fortunate enough that he had parents who loved God enough to instill in him the word of the Lord. And we can see that he prayed and he fasted. And fasting was very important because obviously he was looking for God's direction. He was looking to be in the same state of mind that God was. Now, Nehemiah must have had a strong relationship with God because he prayed as he was praying for people he knew, like he knew these folks. You know, what's going on, God? Look at this, everything that's going on. We sinned against, against you. This only could have happened if we sinned against you, God. What did we do wrong? And after he heard, and they heard the state of, 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 the, of um, the people in the country, Nehemiah began to internalize the burden of this nation and his people, and he came up with a plan to raise the walls and rebuild the gates. So that's why I wanted to call my, my sermon today rebuilding the, uh, Raising the Walls and Rebuilding the Gates. In chapter 2 and 3, we're going to view the walls of Jerusalem as they are being inspected. Nehemiah has a plan. So when Nehemiah is crying and he is looking for God to speak to him, God does speak to him. Now, sometimes we're expecting to hear, oh, you know, going out there and reach all these people or go out there and set up a table and give out water and tracts or go out there and lay hands and so on. But it doesn't happen like that. God is a simple God. God can be extravagant sometimes. But you don't need such a big hoopla for God to tell you to do something. We are in the midst of trying to evangelize our community. And it doesn't take much then for us to go out there with a bunch of tracks, some water, and talk about the love of God. Talk about how can I pray for you. We are in the midst of trials in our country. A place where lots of people are very sad. There's lots of negative talk. I don't know about you guys, but... Every time something negative comes, I take the remote and I change it because it's disheartening, it's disrespectful, uh, we don't know what to believe anymore, we don't even know what to believe, I mean, I, especially the young people who are on Facebook, you get a lot of stuff. So we don't know anymore what news is true and what news isn't true. So we have here Nehemiah sent to Judah, and it says in chapter 2, and it came to pass the month of Nisan that in the 20th year... King Artaxerxes went wine before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad? And so you are not sick. This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. And so I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tomb lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Now, it was, it was kind of a dangerous thing to be sad in the presence of the, of the king, especially when you were the cupbearer. So, uh, obviously, he was a little nervous about, you know, he looking down, looking depressed, and the king noticed it immediately. Obviously, he was in the constant presence of the king, and he said, wait a minute, what's wrong with you? And then he finally had to fess up and say, well, I got some bad news, you know. My beloved city, the city of my people, the place that you, you took me out of, is in shambles, is in a mess. And so finally, Nehemiah, what does he do? He pitches. He gives a pitch to the king. Anybody seen Shark Tank? The shark? Right? You go and you pitch your thing. Your, 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 I got the jumping shoes. I have the machine that washes. I don't know what. He gave him a pitch. So he finally, finally had a, gave the king a pitch. He pitched him a plan. And he came up with a, a time frame in which he was going to be away for the king. Because remember, his job was the what? The cupbearer. And the cupbearer's job was to do what? 
taste the king's food and taste the king's wine. So he couldn't be away too much. But obviously, the favor of the Lord was upon Nehemiah. That's the only way the king could have released him. Okay? And he said, you could go. And then if we read further down, it says, Then the king said to me, What do you request? And so I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servants have found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me, and I I sent him a time. Now, it doesn't tell you exactly what time the king gave him, but the king obviously gave him a certain amount of time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they, may, they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadels which pertain to the temple for the city wall. So obviously Nehemiah was not going to, first of all, go by himself, number one. Number two, he obviously had a plan in mind. He was going to rebuild the, the, what do you call it, the gates, and he was going to fill in all those gaps in the city walls. And so he needed stuff. And so since he had the favor of the Lord, okay, the king gave him, told him, go, you can get this from this person and you can get for that from that person. I always say when you have the favor of God, nobody can stop you. When you got the favor of the Lord, nobody can say no. When you have the favor of the Lord, the doors open for you and you can walk in. And then you're surprised how things happen. I don't know how some, some people um, react to it, but I always get shocked because I like the way God do, does it. When you least expect it, all of a sudden, doors begin to open like domino store, right? And then it's just easy for you to walk in. Now it says, and we read further down, it says here, the Nehemiah views the walls of Jerusalem. This is in Chapter 2, verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem, and there were three days. Then I arose at night, and I had a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting he said he told no one? Because sometimes you get excited. God gives you a plan, and you're ready to spill the beans. One, two, three, to everybody you know. But sometimes you cannot spill the beans to everybody you know. Sometimes God doesn't want you to talk and tell everybody your business. Sometimes God is preparing to do something great, but you need to be quiet. Even though you're dying to spill the beans, you need to be quiet. And sometimes it's for your own good. So all of a sudden we have him. It says, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem, nor were there any animals with me except the one that which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gates to the serpent well and to the refuge gate. And I viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates which were burned with fire. And so he went at night. So usually what do they call that in English in a military? Out, when you go at night. Thank you, Mother Baez, reconnaissance. He went to check out the place. He went to see how bad things really were. And then you can see, it says here that they were broken down and the gates were burned with fire. And in those days, they weren't made out of metal. They were burned, the gates were made out of wood. And only the, the locks were made out of, the hardware was made out of steel or whatever kind of type of metal they used in that time. And then it says, then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animals under me to pass. Obviously, there was rubble. They had destroyed the, the, the gates and the, well, the walls, and there were rubble, so they couldn't even um, use their horses. So I went up by night to the valley, viewed the walls, and then I turned back and entered the valley gates, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not told the Jews and the priests or the nobles or the officials or others who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in? how Jerusalem lies in waste, and its gates were burned with fire. Come and let us build the walls of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be reproached. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been 
good upon me and also to the king's word that he has spoken to me. So it's interesting enough, when I began to count those gates, because each gate has a name, there's the done gate. Does anyone know what done is? Poop. There was a poop gate. So obviously that's where they threw out human race and whatever else, and animal waste. There was the the, uh, fish gate, okay? And each gate had a different name. And so when I counted them, there were 12 gates. And I said, interesting, 12 gates, 12 tribes. And so then I said, okay. I said, how does this relate to what's going on in Calvary? How does this relate to me? And I said, well, we're doing evangelism here in the Bronx. I said, let me check out what are the issues in, or the major issues in the Bronx. And guess what? I found 12 major issues. Listen to this. It says, uh, the 12 issues that plague the poorest parts of the Bronx are, number one, health. Kids are known to have asthma, respiratory problem, overweight, diabetes, heart conditions. Number two, poverty. The South Bronx is supposedly known as being the poorest in the nation. Okay? Number three, environmental hazards. Guess what? I found this very sad and very strange. The Bronx has nine waste stations in the Bronx. Okay? It's one-third of all of New York City. And remember, we have Staten Island and Long Island that's included in there. That means that one-third of it, there must be 27 uh, waste stations in New York City, and we have nine of them in the Bronx, which I personally think is unfair. If you suffer from allergies, if you suffer from skin whatever, if you have respiratory problems and stuff, thank you very much to waste stations for uh, bringing them to the Bronx. Number four, the availability of quality of food. Get that one. You know what that means? that the food that they, they sell to us is not the best quality. And I do know that many of us go to Westchester and to Yonkers and to Costco's in, in, or to Jersey or to other places because we feel we're getting a better deal, or better, better quality of food, that the quality of food is not good here. How many people have children here? Raise your hands if you have kids. How about the school lunches? The worst. I go to other places and I say, how come they're feeding that to the kids in Queens and the kids in the Bronx get the worst. The end, number five, the lack of political involvement, voting, or corruption. In other words, we don't involve ourselves in politics. We don't belong to the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or no party. We don't vote as often as we want, but we like to complain that that light over there isn't working or that, you know, that bus, it takes 15 minutes to get here when, you know, right? How come in Manhattan it doesn't happen? Because I say that enough. I say that doesn't happen in Manhattan, okay? And corruption. Does anybody remember over here in, um, I forgot the name of that street, coming down from uh, Bruckner. Do you remember that guy who, who had the big clinic and his whole family, they all were busted and they went to jail? Corruption. First of all, he's Latino. Number two, he, then he steals from us, okay? And then number three, the, the, the clinic that's like a mini hospital is underserved. So either we don't vote, we don't involve ourselves in any type of, of anything that has to do with government, right? Or we vote in corrupt people. Number six, violence. And I live in the South Bronx, people. So I can tell you, I hear it. That's right. Anybody who's taking me home knows that we have the Hollywood lights in front of my building. Right, Brother Bias? That's the truth. I'm not ashamed to say it. It's the truth. Okay? The other one is the lack of good services provided by, let me tell you who. Transportation. That's right. Many times we have to wait for that bus. And how many people got your cell phone and you're looking and it's bus, the, the, the uh, app says it's supposed to be here in two minutes and you've been waiting five minutes. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and the bus doesn't get here. Postal service, the worst. Sometimes they got one person and they have 50 people online. Public assistance, they treat the people bad. Not everybody who goes on public assistance, um, what do you call it, is a bad person. There are a lot of people who have financial needs and they need to apply for, fine, um, what do you call it, for public assistance and they don't get treated nicely. Hospitals, sometimes we also don't get the best in our hospitals. 
Number nine, unemployment, can't find a job. They might criticize the people in the Bronx about being lazy, about this and that, but there are a lot of people who want to work. They do enough of the, um, what they call it, job fairs. I see it everywhere. I see it in libraries. I see it at the, the what do you call it, the um, courthouse. I see it in all kinds of places. But what happens many times that they offer or jobs or they have fairs for people who are professional, who have not only a high school diploma, a college diploma, a bachelor's, or maybe a, a master's, and even a doctorate. Okay, or they're going to offer a job that doesn't help out somebody who's been incarcerated. Like, I have a concern about that. You know, why do the people who are coming out of jail keep on going back again? Because they can't get a job. Supposedly, it's illegal now to ask if you've been incarcerated. Okay, but there's still applications that go and people put down, you've been incarcerated. The last three are housing. Well, guess what? The city has given, I believe, the Bronx $83 billion to build apartments. And in my area, they're building three major apartment buildings. They're all going to be condos. You know, they have to be, have a portion, a third of it for senior citizens, another portion, portion for people who are, um, what do you call it, low income, and the other third for people who have money. But not too long ago, maybe two weeks ago, it came out in the news that most people can't afford to live in the city anymore when you pay $2,000 for a one-bedroom or two-bedroom apartment, okay? People are moving from Manhattan into the Bronx because it's cheaper in the Bronx. You get more for your bucks, okay? Schools, that's another issue. We are in a struggle between charter schools and public schools, because everybody wants their kids to go to the best school. Everybody wants their kids to get the best education. But the truth is that we're not getting it. And a lot of teachers start off, I was a teacher with the gun ho you start off with a bang, right, Minister Mickey? Like, wow, I'm off, I'm going to tackle the world, I'm going to save all of these kids. And after two years, you become depressed, tired, burned out, and you want out of the job. I've known people who've walked out of their classrooms and never come up. I mean, I would never do that, but I'm like, whoa, that's, that's heavy duty. When you just walk on, you say, I've had it, okay? And then who gets hurt at the end of the day? The kids. And the last one, the lack of community networking. At one time, I was um, networking with lots of people, and the lady told me, she says, she's from Manhattan, she says, do you know that the Bronx have the most resources than any other borough? But you guys don't network. So we want to go out there, and we want to go and evangelize, but we need to network. And what does that mean? What stands on that side across the street from us? Does anybody know? Say it again. Presbyterian Church. How many people here have knock on their doors and say, hi, we're here. Praise the Lord, Brother Tony. We love you for that. Okay, but I haven't. I keep on saying I'm going to do it, but I haven't done it. How many people know that there's at least five or six churches from here to the next two blocks down? Amen. Remember we were in Fuente de Jacobo? And then there was the Lord Shepherd right across the street? And then there was another one, a Haitian one, right? And then, over here, oh, wait a minute. Behind us is Betel from the Assemblies of God. Down the block, there is I don't, uh, two other ones that are Christians. Grace and Peace, and there's another one. And then across the street is the Catholic Church. But we don't network. Thank you, Wounded Healers. So what happened is, what was happening with us? Why aren't we tapping into those people out here? We're all have, uh, are working towards the same cause. Why aren't we getting together and saying, listen, we're here to serve our community. We want to love on these people. We want to let them know that... They need Jesus, that God can do something for them, that the Spanish community can say, oh, aquí hay un lugar donde podemos venir a alabar y glorificar el nombre de Dios. Un sitio donde yo puedo adorar en mi lengua. Okay? And I know it's tough for some of us because we're, we've been conditioned to be speaking in Spanish and being, but most of the church members here are Latinos. And the same way you learn those hymns in English, you're going to be learning those hymns in Spanish. Praise the Lord. They transferred. Go to YouTube. <laughs> These are areas that we need to build in our wall. The same way that those gaps, okay, when they were raising the wall, that's what they're talking about. 
there were all these gaps in these walls. And the people of Jerusalem were afraid because they knew that anybody could get in through any of those holes and come and destroy them. So our holes are these holes. If we know that health is an issue, it would be nice that we held a health fair here. I have friends who are nurses who I can invite. Sister Liz has friends, right? And she's a nurse, praise the Lord. They can come and do blood pressure and talk about maybe a little bit about mental health and something else. Okay? We could do a feeding program here. We can give lunch to the children. We can live, give lunch to the senior citizens, you know? We can, what do you call it? We can maybe uh, uh, figure out how we can lower our footprint. That's what they talk about, you know, instead of being, uh, using stuff that are green. Um, I know that Sister Belinda gets a lot of allergies. You know what that's due to? The air conditioning. That air conditioning has to be cleaned. Those filters have to be cleaned or else people are going to be sneezing, coughing, and whatever else. The violence in our community. Why aren't we involved in some program? Down my area, they do a once-a-year march against violence. The church should be the first people who what? Are up front. But our presence is not known. So to me, God is talking about filling in these gaps. If we're going to raise this wall in this community, if we're going to be and we want to fill, because this is how I feel. I do not want to see 2017 end and those chairs are empty. Brother Nate said it. There are enough giftings. We are so rich. Look at yourself and touch your belly. You are so rich right now. So rich. Okay? That if you made a withdrawal, a spiritual withdrawal, God would be able to deposit in you again even greater things. So, and I think it's about time for us to make a withdrawal. And that includes the kids too. So I think we need to do an introspective into ourselves and say, you know, what is it that's stopping me from doing what I have to do? If we're going to raise walls here, okay, and we're going to patch these holes that are out and available to us right now that are exposed, okay? We need to deal with some of these things. And I'm not saying let's tackle them all in one shot. But we can tackle a couple of them at a time. If we go to chapter 4, in my Bible it says the wall defended against the enemy. Guess what, people? There are always going to be haters. You're always going to get people that say, this church, they've been there forever. And they haven't done much. And I see the same people. I don't want to offend anybody. But I'm just sharing with you. You're always going to find haters. When you attempt to do something, like we're attempting to do now, to go out and they do evangelism, we're going to get people going to say they ain't going to do it. Oh, we're not going to get anybody at the end of the summer. We're lucky if we get one person to come in or one family to come in. But while we're out there, you guys should be praying for us. While you're, we're out there, you should be praying for the places that we're going to. While you're, we're out there, you should be fasting so that the hand of God would move because there is somebody, somebody who needs Jesus. Sister Sarita, is it? Josira. Josira, raise your hand. Everybody, this is Josira. Guess what? Josira lives around here, and she found us in the Internet, people, as we were live streaming. So give her a hand. Praise the Lord. She is proof that putting it on live stream is working for us. And not only uh, is she... Um, I sister with the glasses, I forgot. Brenda and Melissa are also proof that live streaming works for us. So should we keep on live streaming? Yes. yes. So obviously it's working for us. And if Jessie Brennis was here, she's a, a, a product of us sending out about 10,000 invitations, okay, to a neighborhood when we were at PS14 on East Tremont. Everybody remember that? 
And even if it was Jesse, it was a blessing that Jesse came to us. And so we're going to have haters. We're going to have people saying, oh, this sister doesn't have a, a loving heart. This person doesn't know what to say. They're too timid. They don't know what they're doing. They're not going to the right place. But that's okay. That's okay because if you're out there and you love God and you love people, it shouldn't affect you. That should just go all over your head. Now, Nehemiah, when he went to Jerusalem, he encountered opposition. He encountered people who were ridiculing and who were making rumors. And they came in the form of Tobias the Ammonite, um, Sambalat. Even his name sounds shady. <laughs> Sambalat the Onorite and Geshem the Arab. Uh, they didn't want God's plan for the nation of Israel to come true. They're the type of people who you will encounter when you're doing God's work. Nehemiah did not allow any one of these men to ridicule him or to discourage him because he knew he had a good plan and that it was backed by God's plan. And if you go to Nehemiah 4, praise the Lord, and it says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. And despise is a pretty, I think, strong word. In other words, we can't stand you. We don't like the way you look. We don't like the way you smell. We don't like the way you dress. We don't like the way you speak. We don't like the way you worship. And turn the reproach on their own heads. In other words, the same disgust in which they spoke about the Jews, all of a sudden, Nehemiah say it, you turn it right back on them. Now, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to say because that's a heavy-duty thing. The Bible says that the, uh, what do you call it, the words of your mouth can bind you. So we are spiritual beings, so you've got to be careful what you speak and what comes from your tongue because it could be a curse for somebody. But he basically said everything they're saying about us goes back to you. And then he says here, and give them a plunder to the land of captivity. Look at that. And give them a plunder to the land of captivity. The same way they're talking about me, with the place they took me, let it happen to them. Nehemiah always maintained his cool. And he was a model of, a, a model of the right response to these challenges. And uh, when I read, started reading, um, I, I started thinking about it. How do you react when things happen to you? You know, I, anybody here has uh, done um, evangelism? If you've done evangelism, raise your hand. Anybody uh, given a tract and it's been thrown in your face? Anybody got spit on? Anybody, like, you give some food and they throw it in your face and they say, I don't want that. How do you feel? Bad. What else? Rejected. You feel rejected. What else? Excuse me? Discouraged. So you feel, you sort of kind of feel bad. You're like, I, I, don't, want, I don't think I want to do this again. And so how you respond when the crisis comes or how you respond when you're in the situation is going to, at the end of the day, the outcome, whether it's going to be a good outcome or a bad outcome. I remember when I was teaching my first graders, uh, to do um, feed the homeless, um, we they raised the money for the big jar that we were going to give out the another jar, the container that we were going to give out the coffee and the juice and all of that. And I had my six, uh, my twenty five six year olds who were all Catholics, not all, most of them, okay, praying and laying hands on those uh, containers. That's right in my classroom because I said my door's closed. We can pray to Jesus. That's the Bible is saying about that. Praying for Jesus and praying for the homeless. And then I told them, now that we bought it and now that we prayed, everybody's invited to come out Saturday and join me as we are going to give out food to the homeless and bring mom and dad. And yes, we got some people who didn't show up and we got a nice little group who did. And the kids got a kick out of giving the little sandwich and telling the people that Jesus loved them and giving some coffee. And interesting enough, that little children will not be rejected. So if... Jorjito goes and says, God bless you. We just want to give you this. Even the worst person who's out there, even the worst homeless, will not reject a little child. Now, us is a different story, but they will take it from a kid. And so how you respond at during those times that you are giving your track 
And I just want to say now before I forget, I just want to thank Hermano Baez, Brother Tony, um, Hermano Lugo, um, Hermano Doraida, Hermano Yvette, um, Hermano Yesenia, um, Molina, and um, I don't know, if I may, am I forgetting anybody else? Michael, Michael, I'm going to pray. I'm going to put that big clock on your neck. <laughs> Remember that guy who raps that has the big clock on his neck? I forgot. He was late too. Ah. He shows up, but a lo último. I love him, but we're going to have to work on time. But I just want to say thank you to them because I wasn't able to make it. Not because, that's right, give him a hand. Not because I could, um, wasn't there, but my mom is sick and in the hospital. And I had just come back from a trip, not even an hour, when I had to end up going to the emergency. But... Um, we are tackling this area and you need to pray heavy duty. You need to pray every day for us because we want to be able to maintain our cool and be a model of Christian love and mercy when we got out there. And I like us, these are like six little points. You know, the, the one thing that Nehemiah uh, did was that he relied on God. If you go to chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, it shows you that he relied on God. So he knew that he had to pray and say, Lord, this ain't me. Give me the right words to say. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, if somebody um, throws that track in my face, if I'm going to get upset or you never know. Because sometimes we're all here still human and sometimes things slip out, you know. Number two, he respected the opposition. What do you mean by that in chapter four, uh, 4, verse 9? We have here Sambalat. Geshem, okay, and Tobias, knocking and knocking and saying negative things, saying, you ain't going to be doing this. Oh, all of you are a bunch of weaklings. You're no good. Look at you. You, you don't got no place to worship. You smell funny. You eat funny. You this and that. But you know what? He showed them that he had more dignity and respect. He said, I'm not going to go, uh, what do you call it, lower myself to you. Say everything you want to say. Say all the negative things because I know who I serve. Number three, he reinforces his, uh, his weak points. He probably thought about, wait a minute, this is really bugging me. I'm going to have to pray a little. Sometimes you've got to pray. You've got to be honest. How many of us sometimes go out there and things happen, and then it takes you to that place you've got to bite your tongue, and you've got to turn around, right? You've got to take that deep breath, count 15 times, right, and then say, okay. All right? Number four, he reassured the people. You're talking about a man who's coming back to build gates and patch those holes. Who was going to do the work? All the people who came back as exiles who had been living in Jerusalem were depressed, okay, sick, being taken advantage of. And this is really sad. The word is usury. Usury means when your own people use you and take advantage of you. And while all these exiles come back to Jerusalem, right, trying to eke out a little bit of a living from whatever ground they have, when they had no money to pay the taxes, the Jews who were in better condition were using them to the point that the Jews were selling their children into slavery. Now, obviously, Nehemiah really got mad about that. And he calls everybody to account. And he says, how dare you use your own children? How dare you sell your own children? How dare you use a person who you know cannot afford to pay you, and you put them in that position? And it says that while he was reprimanding them all, they all stood quiet. Because they had nothing to say. They knew they were all in the wrong. Number five, he refused to quit. The Bible tells us that you continue to read in Nehemiah 4 that what happened. He started talking to the people, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You don't know how to speak Spanish? Okay, but you know how to say, Dios te bendiga? Amen. People appreciate that. You know how to take some water with you, and you might, not, you might be too shy, but you can give somebody some water and say, here, feel refreshed today. Okay? And... Nehemiah encouraged everybody who was in the city. He said, guess what? This is what we're going to do. These holes are dangerous. We can't leave them open like that. He said, everybody's going to work 
the holes that in front of their homes, okay? And you're going to work with a weapon on your side. So you're going to work with one hand, and you're going to patch the hole with plaster or whatever they use in that time, brick, whatever, stone or whatever. And on the other side, you're going to be ready to defend yourself because you have the right to defend the city where your forefathers were from. You have the right to go to the place and the worship in the temple that they destroyed. You have a right to lift this up and live better. You don't have to sell your kids. You have a right to your own property. So get ready and fight. Okay? And so as he told them, don't quit. You can do this. Don't quit. He even told them this. As you are working, if you hear the trumpet blowing, and you hear the trumpet blowing, that means there's a problem. Everybody go to that place. In other words, be back up. So when I ask you to pray for us as we're out there doing evangelism, you're our backup. If we call you and we say pray because we're in a, in a tough um, area and we need your prayers because this is what kind of that's happening in that area, you're our backup. We're blowing the, the, what do you call it, the trumpet. We're telling you we need your backup spiritually, so back us up. And for the people who are out there, don't get discouraged if you don't give out a lot of tracts. Don't get discouraged if we're treated badly or if you don't see a lot of movement up. The point is stick to it. Stick to it. Stick to it. We have to stick to it because by 2017, every chair has to be filled. Think about what is it that you are doing to bring people to church. In the old days, the first thing they said, like Sister Carmen, talk to your family. Can you come to church on Sunday? Even if it means 15 times a month, I would like you to come to church. Send them the text. Send them that email. Uh, tweet them. Hashtag them. Do whatever it is you're going to do and invite them to church. Number six, he renewed the people's strength continually. And I like that because sometimes we need that encouragement. Don't you feel good when somebody said, good job, you did a good job, you're doing a good job, I believe in you, I know I can trust you, you're doing it. To me, how this, this relates to the Bronx, I'm going to share something with you. When I used to travel, when I was a, a younger, I used to travel every summer, every Easter. Anybody who's a teacher knows that all the holidays we had off, I was off traveling. So I traveled the world. And whenever I was traveling and they would ask me, where are you from? I would say, New York City. And they would say, where in New York City? And then I thought that, hmm, do I say boogie down Bronx? Do I say South Bronx or do I say nothing? So I would say New York City. Why? Because, yes, I was ashamed. I was ashamed to say that I came from the South Bronx. Now, I used to live in the North Bronx when there were only Italians and Jews, and then I moved further down to the South Bronx where there were more Latinos and blacks. Okay? And if I'm probably much older than a lot of you people here, but in the 70s, when the Bronx was burning, I find that Howard Corsell cursed us because it was the World Series, but the Bronx was burning. And then it was building after building after building after building burning down. And most Latinos know that the Jewish landlords or whoever other landlords were burning those buildings because the influx of um, Latinos and blacks were coming in and the whites were moving to the suburbs. So if they burned the building, they have life, they have insurance. In the meanwhile, the rest of us were where? Living either two families in an apartment or moving away to somewhere else because you had nowhere to live. So I was embarrassed to say that I came from the South Bronx. And then I thought about Nehemiah. I could see these people feeling embarrassed to say that they came from Jerusalem. Feeling embarrassed to say this was our temple. Feeling embarrassed that the condition of everything was down and the people were, dis, you know, were depressed and felt disrespected because everybody was talking about them. These people ain't going nowhere. They're building this. They must be crazy. I don't know what they're doing this before because this tribe over here can come right through this ex entrance right now and wipe everybody off. So, yeah, I was embarrassed. And guess what? When you go to Europe, when you go away to different countries, 
and people are in conversation, they're asking you where you're from. When they hear you say the boogie down Bronx, what do you think they say? Exactly. Like, oh my God, you from the Bronx? The first thing they say, does everybody walk around with a gun? Like, for real? Exactly. You've been shot at? You know, they come up with so many things. And let me tell you something. The Bronx is very famous. I live in the South Bronx, and I can tell you, there are tourists that come from abroad to the South Bronx because they're under the impression that people are shooting constantly, okay? And that they're going to see something, I don't know, something crazy. And then meanwhile, the building left and right from where I live at, okay, we have a lot of businesses that are coming to the area, and the Bronx doesn't look like that. And an interesting thing, a point about the Bronx is too, that I don't think you guys know, is that compared to other cities in the United States of America, the Bronx has, only, has been the only city who went down, almost destroyed itself economically, physically, okay, and has been able to get back on its feet again. Whereas Detroit, after all the cars have, uh, businesses went off and all of that, people have had to go other places and has not recovered. So after I got over being embarrassed to say about that I'm from the boogie down Bronx, now I just say it the way it is. I'm from the Bronx. And they say, you and they usually say boogie down Bronx? Yeah. yeah. And you'd be surprised what people in Europe and people in China and people in whatever else know about the Bronx, sometimes more than you. Well, more, more than, them, than, than what we know, right? Okay. And so then I think about Jerusalem. They were being viewed in a negative way. If Nehemiah had not gone there and gone with a positive heart and gone with the vision of God, knowing that God was backing them up and encouraging the people, they would have never built that wall. They would have never patched those holes. They would have never fixed those doors because those doors were important. Those gates were entrances to the city for different purposes, for food, for like I told you, waste for bringing animals in, okay, for doing other things that had to do with the temple and so on. So all of these gates were important, okay? And so then if they had not encouraged these people, they would have never built. They would have stayed like that, being disrespected, feeling less than, right? And people probably take him into captivity again. Now, how can the church become a force that can bring a change to our community? Think about it. What can you do to bring people to Calvary? What can you do to bring someone to this church? Something that hasn't done before. I like the way um, Nate thinks, because Nate thinks big. He said carnival, and then he said big, giant Ferris wheel. And I'm over here thinking, wow, big, giant Ferris wheel in the middle of the street. But that's vision. We laugh, but that's vision. Okay, he said he sees Elder doing a podcast. I could too, praise the Lord. In the morning or in the afternoons, he could be doing his podcast. We could be listening to him on our way to work. All you have to do is believe in yourself enough to want to do it. God will open the way for you to have all the technicians or all the technology that we need. But what can you do? When was the last time you invited somebody to church? When was the last time you brought somebody here without anybody having to tell you to bring somebody to church? Sometimes it requires that we become insistent. And we say, I love you and whatever, but I would love for you to come on Sunday. And the same way you invite people for picnics and you bug them like crazy, you can bug somebody to come to church. Now that it's summertime, we usually have picnics. I just saw that it's going to be a trip to the beach. That's a nice time to fellowship. Invite somebody. I hope that the young sister over here has a good time so that we can see you again next Sunday. All right, Matt. So think about what kind of change you can bring to Calvary. We need you. And Nate said it clearly, we need you. So point to yourself when you say, they need me. You cannot say, like, you know, they need me. I know they need me. So if you believe that they need you, then you're going to come up with a way, something to do to bring people to, um, to Calvary. So I already told you that the holes that were open, those gaps that were available um, in, in the, what do you call it, in the city, were gaps that were becoming more bigger and bigger. And if the Israelite had not 
tackled that sooner, then what would happen? The world would start to what? Come down. And it would be in further disrepair. And so as you think, and I want you to continue to think, if anybody wrote any notes, think about the poverty. Over here, this is a night residential area. But guess what? They still need Jesus. We don't know what's happening behind those closed doors. There could be domestic violence for all we know. There could be somebody who's mentally ill for all we know. There could be somebody who's an alcoholic for all we know. Somebody addicted to pills. Somebody who's suicidal. So I have like four or five tips. I wrote here, what are some of the ways the church can help fill in the gaps in order to raise a strong wall? We can be the host for an organization to come to Calvary to help this community. There are lots of organizations looking for a place to, uh, a, a building or an office or space so that they can serve a community to do something. We can host one. We can provide a service such as teaching English as a second language. I don't know how many people are live around here, but in the Parkchester area, we have a big, giant Bangladeshi community. There's also a big Mexican population that needs to learn how to speak English. We can become more involved in community activities. I became a member of the community board nine people, so get ready. They already sent me the calendar. There's all kinds of activities that will be happening, and I'll share with you, and I'll hopefully be able to send it to um, elders so that you guys can see and participate when you're looking for free and cheap to do with your kids or with your family. But protests, for instance, why should we have nine way stations here in the Bronx? You might be living on one of them and not know it. Why aren't we um, protesting about that? Do you know that we also have, I think, almost the most amount of rehab um, homes or people who are uh, in drug addiction but have uh, need some type of uh, living? Why do they always put them in the Bronx? Why don't they put them in Manhattan? Why don't they put them in Queens? Hey, Staten Island, but we all get them. We have a youth prison down my area. Very few people, um, what do you call it, uh, protested about that. Everybody has a right to a decent living, but why is it that we get dumped on with everything? Thank you. There you go. There you go. So we protest, but we just get discouraged very quickly and we compromise. Okay, there we go. So we need to be an active member at community board meetings. So I'm not the only one. There's some people here who are not working or have, uh, what do you call it, availability to come out and be participant in community board. We need to let them know that Calvary is here. How can we serve you? Okay. We need to be actively praying for your community. Every Wednesday, the, the, the faithful few that come on Wednesday come here to pray, to lift up the church, to pray for other members of the church. And we should always be praying for the community so that we can see the hand of God move in this area. Evangelize the community that you live in. Even though there's a church behind us, which is Patel from the Assemblies of God, even though Juventus de Jacob was down there, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't remember what the other one was, and the Presbyterian church, we need to get out there. You know why? Because if they don't get out, somebody got to get out there and let them know that Jesus cares. And so we need to take a hold of what God has put in our hands in this season. And so I pray that each and every one of you can be encouraged a little bit. If I, if, even if I left you with a little bit of encouragement to grab on to what God is doing in this season. If you love Calvary, if you love Calvary, and when I mean love Calvary, you really love the people that are here. If you enjoy their company, if you really want to bring souls, then put your hand to the plow, people. Work. 
volunteer your time. If you can't do it during the weekday, do it during the week. And some of you stay up late at night. You could be doing stuff on the computers, putting information out there. Um, like, I'll give you an example. I work in a women's ministry. Well, the person is blocking. I am watching on my phone, and then I have my laptop on, and I am sharing like a crazy person on, on the laptop. So I send it out a hundred times or whatever it may be because my desire is that the person gets to be known, there is awareness, this is what's going on, come and listen and join us. And I'm not saying it you know, to pat myself in the back, I'm just showing you what's, that, what's an option that you can do. Especially the young people with technology, I'm just amazed how fast you guys are with your hands and your fingers when how fast you can send a tweet or a message, you know, you can send 15 messages or 100 messages, or you guys know how to do whatever. Link it and send it around the world for all I know. So think about it. Think about, do we want to be like the Israelites in Jerusalem and be disrespected and looked down upon, or do we want to be like Nehemiah, be bold and say, we can do this, I, I, I go, I, I, I'll accept the challenge. And when Pastor put it in my hands, I'm not going to tell you that I wasn't afraid or a little bit nervous. Not afraid, a little bit nervous because I've done a, a lot of these things. So now I'm going to put the challenge on you. So you better listen up right now. July 15, write it down. July 15, my chaplaincy group will be gathering at Virginia Park. That's the park right across the street from the gasoline station and across the street from the Parkchester train station. It's a triangle. We are going to be having what's called un clamor de oración, or we're going to be praying for the community. What are we going to be praying for? We're going to be praying for fire department. We're going to be praying for precinct 43. We're going to be praying for community board nine. We're going to be praying for the businesses in that area. We're going to be praying for the junior high school and the high schools and the, what do you call it, elementary schools. Okay, we wanna, uh, uh, we're going to need people to, in English to pray for people who speak English. We're going to need people to pray for people who are able to speak in Spanish. In Spanish. Yes. It's Virginia Park, right across the street from the, um, from the gasoline station and across the street from the, the Parkchester train station. It's like a triangle where people sit at. And so, you know, we're going to have water. We're going to give out free water. We're going to give some snacks to the kids. I'm hoping that uh, Officer Torres, a, uh, a police officer who does a children's identification, will be able to come on that day and make free IDs for the kids. But we're going to need you. Why? Because that park is big. Not major big, but it's big. Not everybody has to be in that park area. But you can go across the street. Elder Ross is going to come and share a word in English for 15 minutes. That's right. He is. Praise the Lord. Minister, uh, 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 Brother Nate is going to come and give his testimony. There are other people who are going to be speaking. We're going to be there from 12 to 4. And my challenge to you is, will you show up on the 15th? It's only from 12 to 4. In other words, you can do, ladies, your thing in the morning. And you too, guys. You can have breakfast with the family, do your thing, and head out to the park. You don't have to stay from 12 to 4, the four hours. But if you're able to do whatever you can, we would appreciate it. So my challenge to, is going to be that. I'm going to see how many of you are going to show up on the 15th. A lot of you people are going to say, oh, you know, well, I have a lot of things planned. Well, guess what? Every Saturday, our team is going to be out there evangelizing. One group or another, we're not all going to be together. All right? But I have to be at least available to them. So I can't either leave too far or whatever it may be just in case of an emergency. But it would be nice to see my church backing up another church so that when we have an activity, we will be backed up. So let's just stand up on our feet. Just grab the hand of the person next to you. Stretch across. Praise the Lord. I always feel that, you know, we want to be in agreement, everybody in agreement. And Father, we just thank you, Lord God. Because, Lord God, we want to build these walls. Father, we want to be able to fill each gap. 
each gap, Father God, that is open, Father God, that we can fulfill as a church. Father God, we want to put beautiful gates, my God, so that healing will come, Father God. We want to be, Father God, a church known for their mercy and their grace, for their love and compassion. We want to be a church, Father God, that loves on one another, Father. We want people to say, wow, that church makes me feel loved, and I feel comfortable, and I feel accepted. And even in all my craziness, they still love me. Father, I pray, Father God, for each and every one of them. I pray, Father God, that you touch their hearts. I pray you bring conviction of your Holy Spirit, my God, so that, Lord, they can understand that this is a greater mission, a big mission, Lord God. Lord, that we cannot continue to come to this house, Lord God, and not see those seats filled, Father God. Lord, I know it's not a question of numbers, but it's a question of souls, because that's what your heart beats, Lord God. And so I pray, Father God, that you touch the heart of the brothers and sisters and even the children, Lord God, so that, Lord God, we can fulfill your purpose, Lord God. I pray, Father God, that by the time summer comes, Lord God, we can see the fruit, Father God, the fruit. We are declaring the fruit that comes to this house. Families, Father God, because where there's children, there is life. Where there's teenagers, there is life. Father, we pray for families, for moms and dads. We pray for single people, Father God, who are looking to belong. We pray, Father God, for men and women, Father God, who need to change their lives, Father God. We pray for the homeless, Lord God. We pray for the needy, Lord God. We pray, Father God, for the Spanish-speaking population, Lord God, as they too will come, Father God. And, Lord, for musicians and uh, people to, to add to the choir, Father God. And for uh, the ushers to get even bigger, Lord God, to be able to serve. We pray, Father God, for our pastor, Lord God, that you give him strength and courage, Father God. And, my God, more wisdom. Thank you for the, the teacher that in him, Father God, that... He exposed us to so much, Father God, and we are grateful for that. We thank you, Father God, because we are rich. We are rich inside, and it is time for us to, God, make that withdrawal. So I pray, Father God, that we will make the withdrawal without any fear, Father God. And whatever, my God, whatever you have put, whatever gifting you have put in them, Father God, that we can use it, Father God, for your glory and for your honor. We thank you today, Father God, in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be a good steward for what you're giving us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless everybody.